Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's June 18th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Jim Swift and Andrew Egger of The Weekly Standard. Uh, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much, gentlemen. Good morning. Hi, Charlie. Well, we have a lot to talk about. I want, I want to uh, double back on the IG report uh, from the Justice Department, which seems like a million years ago now, and uh, the incredibly mixed messages we're getting, the incredible a number of mixed messages we're getting about the family separation policy at the border. But we do have some uh, breaking news this morning. Uh, I, I think it's maybe a mild surprise. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, punts on the issue of partisan gerrymandering. Um, you know, I, I, I say su- surprising on one level because this, of course, could have been a landmark decision. And I have to tell you that a lot of the folks here in Wisconsin thought that uh, the Wisconsin Republicans were going to lose this case. Uh, the Supreme Court might use this case in a Maryland case uh, to uh, slap down politicians who were drawing these district lines for partisan advantage. But uh, calmer heads apparently prevailed in the Supreme Court and uh, they they punted on it, uh, basically technically saying in the Wisconsin case that the the plaintiffs lack standing. Now, they didn't completely dismiss the case, but they essentially said, look, you're going to have to prove as individuals that you were somehow uh, constitutionally disadvantaged because you live in a district in which there are too many Democrats. I mean, th- th- this is what made this case so interesting. It basically said that it was it was wrong if you were a Democrat and you lived in a 80, 90 percent Democratic district as opposed to being in a swing district. And I, I guess maybe the justices came to the conclusion that, yeah, this is this is pretty ugly. It's it's pretty messy. But but wow, what what is the judicial solution for all of this? And uh, one thing judges don't like to do, well, they, they shouldn't want to do, is wade into some sort of a political swamp like this. So this story is a big deal, largely, I think, because of what did not happen. And obviously, Republicans in Wisconsin are breathing a sigh of relief. This, right. this was but, one of those eight to one yeah. narrow decisions, wasn't it, Charlie? But I didn't I didn't see all the right wing folks on Twitter who were, just, you know, complaining about the <laughs> quote unquote narrow uh, masterpiece cake decision saying this isn't a narrow decision, except that the court said exactly that. And it's yes, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, I, I they're, they're going to come back to this at some time. They, they kept they, it they have to they, they, they kept the embers burning of all of this. OK. So obviously we have some uh, what appear to be unusual developments involving the immigration issue. Uh, there is a there everything in the Trump administration feels a little bit like Groundhog Day. However, this issue of family separation does seem to be getting a lot of traction and it had a couple of developments over the weekend that I wanted to, to weigh in on. Uh, let's start with the first lady issue. Laura Bush does something incredibly unusual. By writing an op-ed piece in the Washington Post that uh, it says that this zero tolerance policy is cruel, it is immoral, and it breaks my heart. First Lady Melania Trump issues a somewhat less stirring statement. She says Mrs. Trump hates to see children separated from their families and hopes both sides of the aisle can finally come together to achieve successful immigration reform. She believes we need to be a country that follows all laws, but also a country that governs with heart. And if this wasn't uh, interesting enough, there appear to be at least three or four different explanations from the Trump administration about its policy. So Andrew, let's, let's start with, with, with you, um, to just tell me about your reaction and whether it changes the debate at all that, that you have Laura Bush 
doing something that I'm pretty sure she's never done before, weighing in on on a policy issue like this. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is helpful in one sense, um, in maybe in sort of a more long view, historical, historically minded sense that that people like Laura Bush are registering the, their displeasure with this right at this moment, when a lot of Republicans uh, who are currently in office are are clearly sort of rolling over and and keeping their heads down, and you know perhaps issuing more mealy mouthed sorts of uh, statements about well, it's important to keep families together, and we want to work toward that, um, but but not really uh, working to do that in any in any meaningful way. The uh, Melania Trump statement uh, raised some eyebrows, although really it was it was much more measured. I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time a first lady issued a statement that could even be interpreted as criticizing her husband's administration. Yeah, I mean, it's it's we live in a weird time. Um, I, I I obviously I do think that that a lot of people who who sort of read that as as Melania dunking on Trump that that was certainly overblown because if, if you look at you know President Trump's own public statements on this policy he's said many of the exact same things pretty much word for word I mean the the whole we need to be a country that follows the laws but we also need to have laws with heart that's straight out of the Trump playbook he said the whole uh, I'll I'll just quote quote him real quick I hate the children being taken away the Democrats have to change their law that's their law he said that I think on on Friday or maybe maybe Thursday day of last week. So so clearly this is the same sort of messaging thing. It's it's hard to tell what Melania is trying to accomplish with this messaging. Obviously, it's it's clear what Trump's doing is he's trying to pressure Democrats to pass his immigration priorities, sort of broadly speaking. But but I do think that that as as far as the actual important events are, that are going on here are concerned, the Melania thing was was more of a, just a sideshow, I'd say. Uh, okay, let, let, let's let's break this down. And of course, a lot of other fact checkers have, have done this. But the president is, and when I talk about the mixed messages, uh, on one hand, the president says the Democrats are responsible for this. They made me do it. Uh, you have others in the administration who are saying this is really a good policy because, in fact, it will deter illegal immigration. And then you have uh, Kirsten Nielsen, who tweeted out last night, we're not doing this at all. So, Andrew, what the hell? I mean, where are we at here? First of all, is, is this is this the result? Is the are the family separations the result of legislation passed and supported by Democrats? Well, okay. So, what we have here, if if we're going to break it down like that, is you sort of have to understand this is an incredibly complicated sort of uh, yes. snare or tangle of different different policies and different priorities that the Trump administration has sort of just blundered into, and and that's why you sort of see all of these conflicting messaging conflicting messages even within the administration. Um, what 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 you, what you need to realize is that that um, in terms of the the, the policies before. You sort of had uh, this this process, which we've talked about on the podcast before, of, of seeking asylum um, by which, you know, you can show up at the border um, and under the Obama administration and uh, uh, under the Trump administration up until now, the sort of policy was if you show up and you have, you know, kids in tow and you, you, you say you're a family and you're claiming asylum, you would be released pending a court date. Um, and clearly that's good uh, in, in certain circumstances. That's, that's, that's what you want to do to avoid exactly this problem of separation. You don't want to throw the kid, throw the parents in jail, even temporarily, if that means like you know shooting the kids off. Catch and yeah, exactly. That's the catch and release yeah. thing. Now the problem with that, and there is there is one problem that that is legitimate that we can talk about with that, which some, including Senator Ben Sass, have brought up, is that you know people who are trying to get into the country illegally are you know they're they're rational actors on their own, and they they're going to always be sort of poking and prodding at the the laws as they exist. So you have problems of uh, you know not not just people coming over sometimes who falsely claim that the children they're with are their family, but sometimes the 
this involves, you know, situations with human trafficking and things mm-hmm. like that, um, which clearly, you know, that's that's an issue. So so it is a thorny issue. Um, it's it, it, it's hard to to deal with, and 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 there there is probably something that needs to be done here, especially on, under an administration that you know cares about border security. However, okay, so the the big caveat mm-hmm. is. Um, this this is the Trump administration that we're talking about, and so this this their solution to this problem was rolled out in such an amateurish and sort of erratic way that they didn't they didn't even bring up this this problem. No, no. And first of all, they haven't even hardly brought up this problem now. They've left it to outside groups to sort of like cover their bases on this. Like you know, Rich Rich Lowry at National Review had a great piece on this last week, sort of explaining it all out. Um, you know, you've seen like I said Ben Sass earlier today, but but from the White House, the messaging has been incredibly simplistic, um, incredibly you know cruel. At a, at a lot of a lot of points, and so you have some people like DHS Secretary Nielsen saying there is no policy of separation at the border. You have others in the White House saying this policy of separation. I mean, Jeff Sessions last month said, you know, some kids are going to be separated from their parents at the border, and that's necessary in order to show people that we mean, we mean business when they break the laws. It's just it's just a, a real mess at this point, and it's hard to see how this works, uh, at least politically, to the White House's advantage in any way. Yeah, well, as, as the Daily 202 says, the Trump team cannot get its story straight on separating migrant families, and of course, there's a reason for that. Uh, I mean, obviously, this was a, a conscious decision. I'm sure there were people like Stephen Miller who really liked the idea because it, it showed that they were strong, were cracking down, uh, we're, we're going to do this, this sort of thing to deter folks. Um, but the, why is the president continuing to say, to imply that this is not his policy, this is in fact the result of the, the Democrats? Why not own it? I mean, on the one hand, you have people who are owning it and saying, yeah, you want it tough, you want to crack down on the border, this is us, we're doing this, which is very Trumpian, why not just go with that? I mean, why does, why does Trump persist in any, you know, easily disprovable, uh, you know, totally, you know, disreputable lie that he that sticks in his brain and he continues to spit. I mean, it, we see this time and time and time and time again on policy after policy, you know, like things things like the trade deficits being important or things like, you know, him having mm-hmm. the biggest immigration crowd in history or your uh, inauguration crowd in history, you know, like just th- things like this. He just gets these ideas in his brain, especially when it comes to like complicated policies like this that he sort of has broken down in his mind as as being actually really simple. So so yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know how to account for the fact that that's the way that it is, but but it's not really surprising when you when you consider the fact that you know on on sort of a, a lizard brained level, Trump doesn't want to you know be seen as being mean to kids. Kids are you know he he, he always you know want, wants to talk he about being like positive. Yeah, exactly. He, he I mean, does respond right, or at least allegedly responds to these traumatic pictures. He, he certainly did in Syria at oh, one point. Those were the, those pictures were from 2014. Those were Obama's <laughs> cages. And the the part of the irony is that a lot of people on the right were kind of white knighting for Trump. And, and, and people actually supporting this policy are saying it's the left that's just said that these were cages. Trump was the guy who was tweeting that Obama was keeping yeah. them in cages. Yeah, uh, it's 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 well, circular well, an logic. Embarrassing moment, sort of peak Fox. Uh, who was it? Who uh, they they they've now released pictures of what certainly look like cages. Uh, actually, the, the federal government has released these pictures. And what was one of the guys on on Fox saying? They're not cages. Oh, they're cages. chain link just... partitions. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what was the phrase? Chain link partitions. <laughs> Otherwise known as cages. Oh man! So here's the the you know I mean obviously on on one political level he's hoping Trump is hoping that this provides him with leverage to get something through Congress. Right. Um, and and you know there might be something to that right because in in fact he's now created a a real incentive real sense of urgency to do something 
to you know make the Democrats vote up or down on something that might bring an end to to all of this. But but I have to say that it seems you know uh, extremely unclear what the prospects in the House or the Senate would be for these immigration bills. I know that uh, uh, Paul Ryan was on a uh, local Wisconsin talk show this morning, and he said that that he thinks that uh, a compromise immigration bill of some sort uh, could get through the Senate, even though House Democrats are going to oppose it unanimously. Any reason to believe that that would be true? Well, I don't know. I mean, you'd sort of expect to see Paul Ryan say that. I'd bring up two two maybe pessimistic points in in relation to that. One of which is that the last time uh, you know the the House of uh, the Congress considered uh, a big immigration bill, it wasn't as though there wasn't a sense of urgency to that. You know, I mean, the, the, it's just that the the stick then was DACA recipients losing their legal status, and that was that was a thing that motivated a lot of people. But it didn't really matter. Um, it was I mean, it motivated a lot of people on both sides of the aisle, but it didn't matter. They couldn't get any package through. Um, and then at the same time, uh, if you actually look at the content of these these Republican bills that have gotten uh, you know gotten off the ground, both the Goodlatte bill and the quote unquote compromise bill, from what I've seen, neither of them are going to solve this problem in a way that actually is going to uh, uh, you know bring Democrats on board. Even the more moderate bill, what it what it basically does is just eliminate the sort of current restrictions on how long you can hold kids uh, and under what circumstances you can hold kids in detention centers. So essentially, it it would would allow for um, you know families to be kept together by getting thrown in in prison <laughs> together, which is not exactly the kind of compromise that you you see a bipartisan consensus rally around, at least from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I want to I want to make two points. Get get your reaction. N- number one, here's a reminder, as if we needed it, of the extent to which pictures drive our political debate, that the reason that we are talking about this, the reason that this is at the top of the agenda is that we have photographs and videos of these children and these families being being separated. Uh, you know, I've, I've just, you know, again and again, we are a visual political culture. And then and, uh, you know, and, and obviously these are incredibly damaging pictures from um, the Trump administration's point of view. I mean, I I, I really get the sense that this uh uh, the shift in in opinion, and I mean shift in opinion on on the right, is is in large part driven by those pictures. And we're also then seeing this new dynamic, um, Franklin Graham, uh, breaking with the administration. He's carried mm-hmm. water for the administration on just about everything. Uh, you have other members of the Senate. Ben Sass issued a very very strong statement, I thought, this morning on on all of this. Um, the the second point, though. Is that this child policy, this uh, the, the family separation policy, seems to me very consistent with the Trump administration immigration policies crafted by by guys like Stephen Miller, which is they rely on blunt force trauma. You know, the one thing that the wall, the mass deportations, uh, many of these other poly- DACA uh, policies have in common is they don't treat immigrants as individuals. They paint with a very, very broad brush, and then they come up with a policy that does not discriminate in any way, and by the way, discriminate, I mean in a, in a, in a positive sense, between people who are law-abiding versus criminals, uh, people who uh, you know have legitimate concerns versus those who, who don't. The one thing that really brings together, whether it's the deportation, the Muslim ban, all of those things, is the way in which they do deal in these sort of, you know, broad, crude measures 
that that inevitably are going to lead to stories like this. And it seems to be it seems to be the case that that's just the way that these policymakers in in the White House and the administration actually look at these situations, which is why time that's and right. again you see them sort of caught by surprise by the backlash. And and which you know this policy was announced a month ago, and it was only after you know almost two thousand children were separated from their parents at the border that and, and there was this whole hubbub about it that now it's become a bargaining thing. Now it's become a thing we really need to actually solve. You didn't hear that rhetoric from you know President Trump in May. I mean, I think that, that your your first point there about the pictures really sort of speaks to that. That you know, whatever their you know failings or drawbacks, images have a way of sort of cutting through that BS sort of Orwellian political rhetoric that just sort of lumps all of these human beings together as just sort of an abstract policy policy measure. I think one thing is important to take a step back and understand is that this is a a, a, a Sessions style immigration White House. It is a Stephen Miller style immigration White House. And the, the same sorts of people in, in the Trump administration certainly encapsulates us who, who worries in a, in a silly way about the trade deficit uh, also tend to believe, uh, not everyone, but just a general tendency, they also tend to believe that our immigration numbers are bad. And they are they are immigration restrictionist, but I mean there is there is a almost uh, I don't know what you would say veto proof consensus uh, in Congress that immigration itself is generally a good thing. We are a nation of immigrants, but then you have Stephen Miller arguing with Jim Acosta about what the Statue of Liberty says to to own the libs and own right. the big press. They're not going to come out and say we're immigration restriction or you know we're, we're immigration restrictionists. They're they're, they're they care about our country, but deep down this is this is about. Um, preventing uh, immigra- uh, immigrants of really any type to come in, yeah, not, not just because they're from Latin America. And if I could just well, add... Right. And, 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 that, and that is a switch. You know, I, I want to go back to, you, you mentioned Rich Lowry's column, which does mm-hmm. point out how incredibly complex this issue is, you know, the, the, interact, the interplay between laws, um, you know, consent decrees and a variety of other things. But I do think that this particular policy that you've seen over the last several months was a conscious decision made with malice aforethought by the Trump administration to use family separation as whether as a deterrent or as a bargaining chip. And, you know, despite the fact that, yes, there's definitely a role for Congress, the the reality is that, you know, Lindsey Graham's absolutely right. The president could end this with a single phone call. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump could pick up the phone and say, just let's, let's stop doing this. And, 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 and it would it would stop happening. So you can it is complicated but you can needlessly complexify the solution. Right, right. Yeah, that's sort of one of the great ironies of this is that, you know, the the architects of this policy are the people like Sessions and Stephen Miller who have a sort of like, yes, this is uh, on its face cruel, but ultimately for some sort of greater good uh, ideological sort of take on this. And the irony of that, of course, is that that sort of, this is on its face bad, but but actually operates uh, ultimately at a more abstract level for good is just not the kind of you know higher function that we ever see President Trump uh, going going for in in his own you know rhetoric about these kind of policies. So for him, for for Sessions and 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 Miller, it's it's all abstract. It's about deterring uh, the people back home. But for Trump, you know the the immigration stuff has never been that. The immigration stuff has always been about you know the people who are coming in are like horrifyingly bad. You know. 
know, they're MS-13 or they're rapists back at the beginning. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. You know, it's 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 never about the thing and it's abstract. And so that's what makes that that's what has made the White House really have to scramble at this point because clearly that what we're seeing from these images and things like that is you know it's it, they're, they're like crying three-year-olds. They're not MS-13 members. You know, and obviously that that's an oversimplification, but it's it's an oversimplification. Well, the president hasn't know. been able to reckon maybe with himself. They're, maybe they're just recruiting them younger. Yeah, MS-3. Okay. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be 13 to join. I, <laughs> I want to go back to um, and, and go back to where we actually started on on the whole first lady thing. I, Laura Bush's piece was uh, was very strongly written. Whoever actually wrote it, by the way, no disrespect. I just understand that there are people who who uh, who weigh in on all of this. Um, and and it did occur to me that that in and in Trump in Bush world that Laura was probably the most credible person that could speak out of this. I mean, imagine what the reaction would be right now if George W. Bush had written that same op-ed. Or know, God yeah, forbid, the, Jeb. The, 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 the blowback. <laughs> now, obviously, we know that uh, Laura Bush is going to come in for you know some 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 pushback from uh, from MAGA world, but it will be different, and my guess is it will be far more restrained obviously, than than George Bush. Yeah, go, go ahead and insult Laura Bush, you know, America's sweetheart, the librarian who wants America to read and pretty much... Oh, my beer. You know what's coming. Never did or said anything controversial, <laughs> you know. Well, that's true. See, that's what makes it so striking is that is that she was the first lady for eight years um, you know, for, for eight years, she's been in public life for how long? This is the first time that I can recall her, her saying anything remotely controversial. And this was not a mealy mouth op ed piece. Yeah, I, this I was think pretty tough. I mean, when, when you when you basically are comparing the Trump administration policy to Japanese internment camps, I mean, that that is throwing it down. Yeah. Anyone who has Breitbart.com bookmarked in their browser is, is going to be spending all day on Twitter extolling the evils of Laura Bush. I, I think this was more of a clarion call to the kind of head in the sand moderate Republicans who may have kind of gone along with what what Trump's done for a while saying, look, this this really is bad. And we, we, you guys need to step on doing this. But to an earlier point Andrew made about DACA and, you know, the distar- discharge petition that failed and everything, mm-hmm. I, I'm not optimistic. I mean, I my first my first day in Congress, we were getting angry calls about, you know, the big amnesty bill that Kyle was working on with Kennedy, which I'm going to be writing about a little bit later for us today. Um, but, you know, that was that was probably the last best hope. And ever since then, we've just sort of seen these, uh, you know, as Ryan alluded to, as you sit reported from on that local radio show, uh, one chamber will attempt something, another chamber will just say no. Um, and it, Trump could do it in one phone call. He could end this in one phone call. This one thing. But we still have all of these underlying problems, which is people want to come here and declare uh, asylum and people are going to want to come here. And that's something that uh, uh, illegal immigration was down under Obama. That was in no part due to the small economy at the time. The economy is getting better. And that means we're going to get more people who want to come here illegally. Yeah, this is uh, this. I have to admit that it makes my head hurt this morning. OK, as I indicated before, I, I do feel that the, the IG report. Because we, as I've said many, many times, uh, we live in dog years right now in American politics. Uh, but, Andrew, you've had a, a chance to absorb it. Of course, most of the punditry last week was when people had this 500-page report sitting in front of them and they had to come up with uh, with, with the hot take. We've had a little time to to abs- absorb it. Um, so give me your top three takeaways. Oh, boy. Uh, you're going to put me on the spot with a number. All right. Let me, okay. let me, no, 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 no. Okay, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Away. I'll see what I can do. Okay. So <laughs> so first things first, I think that the most important thing that's going to come out of this, uh, I'll start with the least important thing, actually. Um, clearly, we've seen uh, President Trump uh, 
you know, really hammer this thing. Uh, he's, he, you know, he, all the takes over the weekend were like, this is going to give Trump a big new weapon, and clearly he's using that weapon. I don't think that it is actually going to be all that impactful in terms really? of, okay. uh, it, it will be impactful, but but not in terms of, of that. I don't think, I, I think everyone who uh, has been paying attention to any of this Russia stuff at all already has their minds completely made up about, you know, whether they're on Trump's side or whether they're on Mueller's side. I really don't see this report making much of a difference in, in as it specifically regards, you know, how you view the ongoing Russia investigation. Now, that said, one place where this report has had a big effect already, and I think we're going to see that more and more, is in Congress. Because, uh, as you know, um, the the issue of how the Russia investigation got started, uh, while, you know, while before it went to Mueller, while it was still in the hands of Comey and a lot of these same people who, who are really implicated in this IG report, um, that question has been the hobby horse of just a couple of Republicans in Congress uh, for, for months now, especially House Intel Chair Devin Nunez has been, you know, hammering and hammering and hammering the DOJ and the FBI to turn over documents sort of revealing how they got the Russia investigation off the ground. And the DOJ and the FBI have been very resistant to that. Now, literally just since the IG report, we've seen a lot of motion in Congress specifically among uh, Republicans where now you have, you know, Trey Gowdy, who for a long time has been sort of a voice of caution in terms of politicizing all this. Uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan, who has, has done the same, he's often, you know, expressed his confidence in the FBI, uh, their ability to do their job. Now, both of them are, are sort of right in there with Nunez uh, in terms of, you know, they, they met, according to Gowdy, on, on Friday night with uh, Christopher Wray and, and representatives of, of the FBI or of the DOJ and just and just said, we you need to turn over these documents. We need to know uh, that you were operating in good faith uh, at this point when it, when it or not in good faith, but operating well at this point when you were clearly making mistake after mistake with the Clinton thing. You need to hand us those documents, and if you don't hand us over these doc these documents, uh, Ryan has apparently been saying uh, we're going to bring it up on the House floor and 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 pursue sort of constitutional remedies to compel you to to hand over these documents. And that's that's a conversation that's been happening uh, in the House Intelligence Committee for for months. You know, Nunez has been trying to subpoena all of these documents and things like that. Uh, but but you know that that's just one uh, committee, and it's one very politically charged committee. You know, Nunez has been hammered over and over again for his partisanship. So I think this is. is really going to amp up the pressure on DOJ to turn over those things and, and give us all a look into into how this investigation got off the ground, which I don't think is a bad thing as long as it's, you know, a, a broad uh, consensus of House Republicans who are, you know, looking over this and not just Trump's attack dog, Devin Nunez. Well, you know, you make a couple of good points, including the fact that this this report would suggest the FBI needs, uh, you know, very thorough reforming. I'm not sure it's going to take place under under this administration. You know, it it occurs to me, listening to your analysis, which I think is 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 accurate, that that Trump has already won, um, you know, one of the fundamental battles here, which is that he didn't actually need to change public opinion as a whole on this investigation. All he needed to do was to solidify support among Republicans in order to survive an impeachment effort. Only needs is to have Republicans see this through a partisan lens, mm -hmm. because I mean, it was it was never likely. Um, that he was going to be that they would ever get 67 votes in the Senate to remove him, no matter what the results of uh, of November's elections are. But to the extent to which he can hold serve in in a sense, um, you know, and on, on on a partisan basis, he's already succeeded. He's already won that battle, if not the war. Now, I'm not that that's going too far because, of course. You know, once again, we don't know what Robert Mueller has. We don't know what's coming. We don't know the timing of all of this, but. 
Um, you know, if you dial it back to the moment, if you go back in time to the moment when Robert Mueller was uh, named special prosecutor, it would have been hard to imagine the extent to which the Trump administration you know, and, and his supporters have succeeded in um, besmirching Mueller's reputation and that of the investigation. Yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think maybe this is too pe- pessimistic, but I think you can make the argument that this just shows that, you know, the the sort of hollowing out of the discourse and the, the corrupting influence that, that Trump has had on the whole political process didn't stop when he got elected. You know, it's it, we're, we're a year on from, from, from Mueller's appointment. You can look back uh, at that appointment, and obviously that happened at a very politically charged time. You know, all the, you know, people had made up their minds about Comey at, by that point. Um, but when Mueller was appointed, there was a sort of bipartisan sense of relief that this guy was on the level, that he was going to run a tight ship and and uh, perform a, a solid, uh, faithful investigation. And, and you know, who, who believes that anymore uh, in terms of the general public? Everyone's got their opinion. Everyone's, everyone's on Team Mueller or they're on Team Trump. And there's really hardly anyone in between who's at least even trying to take a, a bird's eye view and, and call balls and strikes. Team facts okay, and so the law. Yeah, right. Jim Swift, what else do we need to know today? Put you on the spot. What else do we need to know? Uh, for, for, for those of us that were, you know, sitting, kicking back Father's Day yesterday, you know, not not glued to Twitter. I, I was glued to Twitter, and uh, well, when I wasn't driving, screaming babies uh, around <laughs> Northern Virginia. Uh, I, Happy belated Father's Day! <laughs> thank you. Yeah. This is a great first one. Uh, I, I I don't think that uh, the um, the story here uh, with uh, family separation is going to go away anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, like I earlier said, I'm not optimistic Congress is going to be uh, the the organization that results in fixing this. I'm not even sure it will be fixed or, or changed anyway. But the, you saw the uh, blow up uh, over the weekend on Twitter as to you know Paul Ryan tweeted out you know Happy Father's Day mm. and he got ratioed, which is for those of you who aren't obsessively on Twitter, uh, he didn't get a lot of uh, sharing and he didn't get a lot of accolades for it. He got you know thirty thousand. So angry responses, uh, and it, it divided a lot of folks uh, on the uh, the the sane right, not the the far MAGA right, um, as to as to you know how to respond to this. And, and people were calling each other evil, and you know were calling you know there's it was just a bunch of sludge, as Twitter often is. This but, is the word. This is what's happening to us. This is why we can't have any nice things. I mean, we've <laughs> yeah. wrecked the NFL. We've wrecked Father's Day. We've wrecked Mother's Day. Is there any part of our lives where we haven't had this toxic sludge of partisanship, you know, you know basically oozing in through the the, the, the windows? <laughs> you know, like come on. At least we when, can. When did we ever have? When did we ever have nasty political debates over Father's Day and Mother's Day before? It all started with Christmas, but at least now that we have President the war Trump, on Christmas. we can say Merry Christmas again. Thank the Lord. Say it every month. Say it now. Yeah. Well, you think about. It. Is there any holiday that hasn't? You know, Halloween, of course. Became Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, people demanded that we dress up as vegetables so we didn't offend anybody for for Halloween. Easter is kind of still. I, I hesitate to even mention it. Yeah, but yeah. you you had a great Father's Day. This is, I mean, this is you know times two for you, Mr. Swift. Yeah, uh, you know you, you don't you don't get twice as many presents. But as a as a Wisconsinite, <laughs> you'll appreciate that I uh, got the uh, Johnsonville sizzling sausage uh, George Foreman type grill that perfectly That's cooks bratwursts indoors. Whoa! Oh, you got the grill. Yeah, I mean, I grill s- I grill outdoors, but in the winter, I want a good bratwurst in December, and I can't grill in a high rise. A Merry Christmas bratwurst. Yes, perfect. You grill inside. Okay. Yep. All right. 
Okay, that I'm 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 in favor of all of that. I'll bring this in next time you're in the office. You'll love it. I would actually love to see that. Uh, um, at some point uh, later this week on on the podcast, I want to talk about uh, the editorial in the Weekly Standard, a, a subject close to my heart, uh, Harvard's administration policies. Uh, we're finding out about uh, the way Harvard has been uh, uh, apparently systematically uh, discriminated against Asian Americans. Uh, this is uh, this is not necessarily new, but the way that it's being documented, I think, is dramatic. And you wonder whether coming to sort of a moment of truth there. And I bring this up. Actually, I was at a, a seminar last week and I asked somebody about uh, admissions policies and, and you know, new, the, the new discrimination. When my father um, was applying for college back in the 1930s, it's, you know, telling you how old I am, but, you know, he, you know, encountered back then you know, quotas aimed at limiting the number of Jews who were in, say, Ivy League schools. And he always thought that that the uh, Asian Americans had become the new Jews. And there's been there's been kind of a reluctance to acknowledge, even though I, you know, overtly acknowledge what's going on um, by holding down the numbers of uh, Asian Americans. But it's been a reality for a very, very long time. And uh, some of the stories over the last several days have been pretty extraordinary out of Harvard. Yeah, Terry Eastland has done, um, he's a contributing editor of ours, longtime former uh, executive editor and publisher, um, worked in the Justice Department uh, with Ed Meese mm-hmm. back in the day. He's written a lot of stuff uh, for us over the years on all the affirm- affirmative action cases that came before the various courts. And uh, I think, the, you know, I don't know what the end result is here and what I'm, I'm no Nostradamus. Otherwise, I wouldn't work in the, you know, uh, well-paying, but, you know, not exactly enriching uh, field of journalism if I was so good at predicting <laughs> the future. But I, I will say that I, I think that this is probably the beginning of another spate of years-long suits that the courts will probably have to, to, to weigh in on. Uh, I, I, I agree with you. Thanks for uh, joining me this morning. I appreciate it uh, very much. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. And we will do this all over again.